Hey, Marcus, I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you have quite an impressive career in insurance. And I see you started as an insurance salesperson, became a team leader, became a key account manager. Now you lead teams and companies to find their vision. Can you tell us a bit about your career and what are the secrets? What made you so successful? First of all, I need to tell you one small secret. I never could imagine to end up in the insurance industry because I always thought it's so boring and, you know, insurance came straight after the bank. At the end, I did. And to be honest, it's great. It's so interesting. The industry offers so much. And the deeper you dig into it, the more interesting you get because you really see how it's working and what you can achieve in there and what you can do. You mentioned my way was from being a sales agent, sales manager on an agency, going to distribution, learning all about the strategy of insurance distribution, and then being a key account manager dealing with B2B with the big customers. I never got bored, to be honest, because there's so much to see. I think the secret is that you have the eagerness to really create value, to do something good, maybe to have the syndrome of, I want to help everybody. I want to save the world. Because this is what you do in there. You create this peace of mind. And talking about B2C, your customers, they don't really know what they need. They have a glance of an idea, but it's you who is the expert. It's you who can tell what they need. When you go to the life insurance, I will never forget a boss of mine told me once, when you see your customer in a wheelchair on the other side of the street and you can still greet him, then he did everything right. When you need to change the road or you need to go the other side, then you have done something totally wrong. We're not talking about selling a camera or something. When you sold the wrong camera, okay, the damage might be a couple of hundred bucks. But now we're talking about life insurance is like really could mean the financial ruin of a person or could be the end of a big, big company because the insurance didn't cover everything because all the construction, the company side, they got burned down. All these things, you have a huge responsibility and to be able to be expert, that kept me going. And of course, I love the sales. I love to talk with people. I love to show myself. And you know, I'm, I'm a little bit extrovert. I don't know if you can see it or not, but this is for me that really the thing that matters and it keeps me going. All right, Marcus, one thing that obviously most people want to know is how do I find clients? And it would be really interesting if you could elaborate a bit. How did you do it? What's the difference B2B, B2C? Any tips and tricks? Well, this is a hard question because I think you're the first person asking me this. How do I find customers? The obvious answer is recommendations. How do you get recommendations? Doing a good job, making your customers happy, then they're happy to talk about you. And believe me, recommendation is the best way how to find customers because on the one hand, it gives you the appreciation from your customers. On the other hand, you already have the trust. How to get there? Then I come back to my evergreen topic. Be clear about your purpose and your values, what you deliver and which needs do you cover? And the difference between B2B, B2C, no, there's no, it's about people. It's people business. And people don't buy your product. They basically buy you or they buy from you. Let's say you've shown a lot of benefit to your client, but still at the end of the meeting or the call, they still have some challenging questions or some objections. In your experience, what are the most common objections that your clients will throw at you? And how do you handle that? 
Maybe you can even tell some stories about it. Actually, I need to say there is nothing that is quite specifically insurance. The objections are, it's too expensive. I don't need it. I already have it. Or when you're in the B2B business, it's, I can't decide it. It's quite hard to say how in general you cope with it. I think the most important thing is to take it serious. Not to see the stop sign telling you did a really bad job and I want to annoy you. Like take the customer serious and try to get behind it. What is too expensive? What does it mean? Is it the whole product? Is it the part of it? You can also give alternatives. What I normally do is if the customer tells me it's too expensive, does the customer doesn't have the budget for this insurance? Was the expectation lower? Or is this just something he says, it doesn't create a value for me. I need to find out what is behind this. And then I can see if you say, you know, um, it's really cool and the product is great, but it's over my budget. Then I can say, okay, how can we downsize it? If you have a car insurance, you can go from the full coverage to part the coverage, for instance. There are lots of possibilities where you can play around. The most important thing is when you get an objection, stay calm. Stay open and look for the reason and for options you still have and offer options. Try to find out by asking, how can I get there? And let's be serious. When the customer just doesn't want to, then it's okay too. And sometimes what happens as well is that, especially when you encounter customers that are introverts, I'll give you an example. I'm the extrovert guy. If I say this is okay, then it's okay, I do it. If I have a good feeling about something, I go for it. Now you have people that are more introvert and more on the facts and figures side. And they told me something like, this is really cool, but I need to think about it. I need some time because I want to read the terms and conditions. Reading terms and conditions for me, it's like something I would never dare to do so because I see it boring. Of course, it's important. But for me, it's like if I trust, I trust. But at the same time, I need to see as well that people are different. For this customer, it was really important that he has the time to sleep over it. Give the customer the time. At the same time, be distinct. So ask, totally understand. When shall I call you? How much time do you want to have a good feeling? When shall we have a catch-up call? Be on the spot. From my personal opinion, objections arise when the customer does not see any added value in your service or your product. The difference between B2B and B2C lies in the complexity and the professionalism. In B2B, you often have several decision makers who are really good at negotiating techniques. When you struggle, you always struggle more because they're really, really good at negotiating and it makes it hard for you to play the emotions. This is much easier in the B2C part because in the B2C, you always have one decision maker who has mostly less knowledge than you and less experience in the field or in the field of negotiation. Personal well-being is the key in here. By the way, for the B2B, that's quite an interesting question that always helped me. What does your counterpart get his bonus for or is praised by the boss? Because then you know exactly what your counterpart is aiming for. This helps you because then you know what is the hidden agenda and then you can help without even telling the guy like, I'm going to do this together. Because normally this is why it's called a hidden agenda. I don't tell you, but you're more clever than this. You did your research and this helps you. I always get the question as well, like how to deal with objections when you get them. 
always people are asking, do you have any tips for me? Any advice, how you can avoid them, how you can tackle it in the first place. There are two different approaches. One is you have a look at the end of the process. Then you need to manage the typical objections like, oh, too expensive. I don't need it. I already have it. I can't decide it. One way. And then what we normally do is we go to one of the sales courses and sales training and the trainer tells you, if your customer tells too expensive, again, I gave you the key answer to this, which is really, really clever. It was in the 80s and 90s, but nowadays the people are more sophisticated. When you reach this point, you might have done something wrong in the beginning. The question at the beginning is the following. What is the benefit of my service or my product? And this is the key for everything. For this, of course, you need to follow three simple steps. Know the customer's real needs, do research and ask. You're allowed to ask. Maybe not the obvious question, like, what do you really want? Try it more sophisticated, but really ask. I see it in everyday, so many times in the daily business that salesmen hesitate to ask. They don't ask. They give answers and they assume. There's a golden rule for me. Assuming is always wrong. Better ask. Get the information because people are willing. They really have the eagerness to tell you what they want because they know it helps and it saves so much time and effort. The second, be convinced of your product. Yes, it's obvious, I know. But again, in a daily life, I see so many salespeople that don't like the product. They don't see the added value in the product. Why are they in sales? They don't know. They might know they say because they need the money. But honestly, of course, I do understand, but this is not the best purpose you can have. I work for the money. There should be something deeper. This is why I always talk about purpose and values. See your added value. See why you're doing this. What value you can add to your customer's life with your service and your product. And then believe me, everything gets easier. Then you don't need to go to all these body language courses just to look convincing. Because then we go to the point where you don't just look convincing, that you are convinced. And when you're convinced, of course, you can convince others. We go to the third and final point. Communicate three things. Benefit, benefit, benefit. What is in it for me? This is the question your customer always asks you. He doesn't really ask you, but he wants to know. And if he sees a benefit for him, believe me, he's willing to buy your product. Of course, when your product is good and the price is fair. Instead of managing objections, better avoid them. All right, to avoid objections, you need to show them the benefit. Now, a question I get often from new salespeople is like, okay, but what if I really show the benefit, but at the end, they still sometimes have one or two objections or challenging mm. questions, right? What do I do then? You need to distinguish, is it a real objection or a tactical objection? Do they say no to reach something like lowering the price? If you're dealing with the guys from the central purchase department, their target is to lower the price because this is how they get measured. So one question is like, what is behind this? What haven't you delivered to your customer yet? Which information is still needed? And always distinguish, is it really something they're playing around? Sometimes people have bad days and they just want to bother you with something. Could be, we don't know. It's always hard to answer in a general way because it really depends on the situation. If you encounter this situation several times, go back to field number one and have a look. Are you clear with your purpose? Are you clear with your values? 
Do you communicate the benefits? Do you really get what your customer wants? There's a nice example from insurance. What do you sell when you sell an insurance policy? It's peace of mind for your customers, especially when you work in a B2C area. You give them peace of mind that they don't need to think about what could happen or what could financially ruin me. And to give this, what you need to create is trust. The question is, how can you create a trust? And what gives them peace of mind? If you work in a B2C or a B2B with smaller companies and your customer is a car manufacturer, believe me, they have enough trouble to sell cars. They want to be bothered a bit about the thing is like, what happens if one of the machine breaks down and we cannot deliver anymore? Or there is a fire in one of our production sites. This is not their topic. They just want to focus on selling cars and want to produce good cars. Peace of mind for these people is like, okay, we give it to you. We transfer the risk to you, deal with it and give us a good solution. Thank you very much. That's very interesting. Peace of mind. I think this is a question that's really good for you because you've been working with key accounts. What is it like negotiating B2B contracts when you have procurement on the other side who's driving a real hard bargain, really trying to negotiate hard? And now imagine someone who's doing this for one of the first times. They might get stressed out about it or not know how to handle it. What are your tips and tricks there negotiating B2B? I was a bit naive for the first time. I thought like, let's go in with the best price you already have and get it through. What happens with each negotiation, your margin gets lower, lower and lower. Because it's just what they're trained to do. They go through several rounds and with each round, when it gets further and further in the process, they just go step by step in the tactic to lower the price. The later you are in the sales process, the more is at stake because, you know, you already told your boss that we want this big customer and this is just like a 70% chance of winning it. And then somebody comes and say, okay, I think we're ready to do it if you go down to 5 or 10%, depending on how many volumes you discuss. And then it's quite hard for the whole organization to, to step back and to say, mm, no, not at this stage anymore. What I learned and what I can recommend is always make sure that you start with actually enough margin so you are able to give something away it doesn't sound intuitive but at the end it's a business matter when you know that the procurement manager is measured on how much he got out for the company then you know that the end price doesn't matter it matters how much they win on this marcus how is the procurement department incentivized what impact does it have on you when you negotiate with them The procurement department needs to make sure that they get the best product for the best price at the best quality, of course. They're incentivized by how much they can get out of the negotiation. When you go in with, I don't know, 3 million and they save 10%, they did a very good deal by lowering the price. And this is at the end of what matters to them. You need to make sure that they might have different interests than the product department, for instance. The product department, they want to make sure that you have the best product and everything that fits with the customer. At the end, they hand it over to the procurement department and they do the negotiations. The worst thing that could happen is that you gave away all your margin with the product department and then you don't have anything anymore. Then is the thing that's going to get really, really tough negotiations. Believe me. At the end, you don't want to tell your boss when you're already celebrating, like, we're going to have the customer. It's just a final round. You don't want to go back to your boss and saying, I think we lost him. The pressure is on you.
as a sales manager, how did you manage to train your team to sell? First of all, I made sure that they know what they're talking about. Fix the basics and make sure that they have enough training on both sides. First of all, uh, to have the knowledge and then to make sure that they know how to sell. It's like learning a sport. You need to train. You need to repeat, repeat, repeat all the time. And this repeating gives you security that makes you more self-secure. And this self-confidence helps you to be more confident with your customer. And this is the thing. If you trust yourself, your customer will trust you. And if you feel confident about it, your customer feels confident buying for you or buying with you. When you ask me how I train, I make sure that the basic is right. This is always the most important thing. The second is go out and try, try and error. Get as much repetition, as much training. Take the phone, just do it. At the same time, be aware, what are you good at? What are your talents? To be honest, if you hate to do cold calls, it might be not a good idea to really focus on this. You should know how to do it. You should have the experience. But if you realize I'm not good at cold calls, find out what you're good at. Maybe you're a great networker. Please invest the time and go out, go to all these networking events, meet people, convince the people and do your appointments there. So this is really important that you do what you like to do, what you're good at. What were the main challenges you found in training the team? What were the issues that you would see normally in most of the teams you've trained? The most difficulty was motivation. When I started as a sales manager, I had this funny idea that I need to motivate people. And this doesn't work. You just get tired to push people all the time. By the way, people don't like to be pushed. The key is to find this self-motivation. I really recommend to everybody to find out who is in front of you, who are those people, your employees, they have needs. What are the needs? What are the values? For instance, your employee, Thomas. Thomas, his highest value is freedom. You know it. And yesterday, Thomas did something really bad. He just missed the appointment and the customer was through yours. How do you deal with it? Now, when I know that the highest value of Thomas is freedom, I can approach Thomas and can say, hey, we had a situation, how we deal with it. At the same time, I can approach him saying, you know that your highest value is freedom, but what you did will limit your freedom because it means I need to control you. I need to control your appointments. What do we do? If you want to keep on your freedom, you need to be reliable. And it's a kind of a self-motivation. He knows that he needs to be reliable to keep his freedom, to keep his values, to live his values. For me, it's perfect. At the end, I have less work because I don't need to push people or tell anybody what to do because they know what to do. Let's say I'm 25 years old and I'm starting in an insurance company, maybe in a sales department. What is your advice for me? Make sure that you understand what you're doing that you're good at what you're doing. And I know it's a big word, but make sure that you love what you're doing. That doesn't matter which job, but especially in sales, because you're dealing with people and people really sense how you're feeling about something. Are you convinced about something? Are you not? Are you happy about something? Are you relaxed? Are you under pressure? And believe me, especially in sales, you can get under pressure really easily. And it's important that you know that what you do is good and you really like what you do to overcome all these obstacles.